This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joire. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joire, and today is January 31st, 2019. My guest is Angel Sag of More Insights. Hi, Angel, how's it going? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Yay. Uh, so I want to talk about kind of a prickly subject with you, but it's also a good subject because we have really great things to talk about regarding that subject and kind of scary things to talk about. It's Huawei. <laughs> Let's put it out there. <laughs> um, I want to talk about the MateBook 13, which is a new laptop that was just released. And you and I both have used one for a while. So Let's kind of do a little mini review from our perspective. And then I want to talk about, um, you know, these criminal charges. And more importantly, what struck me most, I mean, all of this has been kind of going on for a while. There's nothing really too surprising there. But what surprised me intensely was this Engadget article that I shared in the podcast topics with you of the emails that surfaced from the lawsuit with T-Mobile that was concluded mm -hmm. a few years back about that industrial espionage case against Huawei when they tried to copy, to replicate the uh, testing robot that Timo was using. And right. I have so much to say about these emails. <laughs> and I'm wondering if you do too. Uh, I definitely do. Um, I, I think um, the case that, we, that happened in civil court, um, I'm pretty sure those emails were not available in discovery. Um, so I think this changes the way that case is seen. So Absolutely. I think it'd be very interesting to talk about. So let's talk about the, the good stuff first, because I really feel that, you know, the Huawei's been really doing a good job with their laptops. You know, we first got the MateBook, um, what was it, S? I don't know, the regular MateBook, uh, about a year and a half ago or so, right? Yeah, I think so. It was a super light, 13-inch uh, laptop with a very small chassis, very thin, pretty much kind of competing with the MacBook 12-inch in many ways. And I think it hit the mark in most of those. I never got a review in it, so I don't really have a great point of reference. But I heard a lot of decent things. Not like, oh my God, this is the best kind of things, but like, this is a solid laptop. They've done a good job. It's a good clone of the MacBook, if you're looking for that sort of thing. And then I have a bit more to talk about, and maybe you two too, about the MateBook X Pro that was launched last spring, because I got a review in it of that. Did you? I did not, unfortunately, okay. but I did get to play with it a little bit, and I was pretty impressed with the build quality, um, but I still think the whole cam pop-up thing was a total gimmick. Yeah, I agree. So actually, let's quickly go over that, because we don't, have to, we don't want to spend too much time on it. To me, what strikes me about the MateBook X Pro, and the reason I bring this up before the 13 that we're about to talk to, about is because I want context. Um, that thing, honestly, the build quality... The fit and finish was totally up there with Apple. Really, really thin and light for fifth, like not fifteen, but you know, thirteen point nine inches the width on that and di uh, diagonal width on that screen, and mm -hmm. it's a very compact chassis for that size of screen. And it's got a three three to two aspect ratio, which is kind of the ideal aspect ratio for laptops. With swap, uh, I think Apple does sixteen to ten, and. Oh, maybe three to two on some of theirs now. I know that the Pixel Book, one of my favorite recent laptops, certainly better than the, the Pixel Slate they recently launched, right. is a three by two as well. And the, the original Pixel laptops were two. So anyway, the, the bottom line is the MateBook X Pro, I thought for the money, 
was a highly recommended laptop. And I think the rest of the media echoed that because we all recommended it. If you have a MacBook, if you wanted a MacBook Pro competitor, that was, and, and you could live with Windows 10, that was the laptop to get especially if you kind of wanted the MacBook looks. And then, the as you mentioned, that pop-up camera and the function row keys was very gimmicky and I felt wasn't a good idea. So, that segues us into the MateBook 13. And I want, you, I want your thoughts on it. What, what, what is your take on that laptop? So, I think it's a really, uh, you know, it kind of follows a lot of the tradition of what they were trying to do with the MateBook X Pro. Yeah. Um, I think they were being really thoughtful about price and specs and build quality. Um, if there's one thing I can always give Huawei credit for, it's the fact that they've always had very good build quality and almost better than most of their competition in that um, price category. But I think for me, it was a very, you know, it, it's, it's a really... Uh, it feels like it's the right weight. It has the right finish on, in terms of feel. Um, there's a lot about it that just feels right. Um, my only complaint about it was I, I feel like the battery life could have been better. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, it's a really solid all-around laptop. And with the specs that they sent me, um, they sent me the one with the 512 gig and the uh, i7 core. Same um, with me. And, it, the, it, uh, and the dedicated graphics, right? Yeah, and dedicated graphics. And I think that's the $1,300 model. Correct, $1,299. Um, it's a GeForce... No, no, is it a GeForce? MX, MX150. Yeah, MX150 from NVIDIA. And, and I've got the same spec. In fact, we both, I think, received pre-production devices because they did not include the little USB Type-C dongle that they have that has yeah, a that memory card slot and a couple of USB-A ports and a, and a charging pass-through. Um... In terms of ports, um, one of the things I loved about the MatePod X Pro was that you had two USB-Cs on the left with, I think, mm -hmm. the headphone jack, and one of them was Thunderbolt. And then on the right side, you had a USB Type-A. They actually squeezed the USB Type-A in there. Which I think is still a big deal. Which, super awesome. And then on the MatePod 13, they've dropped the USB-A, and you've they got did. basically a USB-C on each side, very much like a... Uh, you know, like a lot of, uh, like with the pixels, the laptops and pixel book. The funny uh, thing is I forgot about that, that they dropped it and I went to grab it cause I thought I needed a laptop with a type A port and I still had the MateBook X pro in my head. So I looked for the port and I didn't have one so oh. I had to grab another laptop. <laughs> oh crap. Yeah. That's, that's something you should know if you get into it. Um, the other thing to keep in mind about it is that I'm not sure, and maybe you can tell me because this is, I, I can look it up, but you might know off the top of your head. Is there a Thunderbolt 3 port on this laptop? Um, I'm not 100% sure. So that's something to check. Uh, but you're right, the spec we got was really spec'd out. To give you an idea, my MateBook X Pro is actually a Core i5 spec, which is kind of the lower end spec. In fact, the one they sent me, I don't know where it came from because it is definitely US layout. And U.S. software, but it has a it has an also has an uh, a separate discrete graphics, which is not a SKU available in the U.S. For mm. my, I'm not talking about the 13. I'm talking the X Pro. Right, the X Pro. So I have a Core i5 with the MX150, I think, uh, <laughs> for for the uh, for my MateBook X Pro. And honestly, that combo is actually really great on battery life, especially since it has a bigger chassis and more battery in it. Yeah, you know, I really appreciate the high performance i7 processor. 
Um, I think it's a, you know, I think it's a six core actually. Um, it's definitely the newer version because um, the X Pro has the older seventh yeah. gen. It's either a four core or an eight core or a four core or six core, but it's still a really fast CPU. And I think that's, you know, when people are looking at laptops, that's the first thing that they look at in terms of specs. Um, and I think Huawei has done a really good job of addressing people's, you know, interest and attention to specs. And that's why you, you see them building the phone like the Mate 20 Pro, which is like a spec beast. And I think this laptop, in my opinion, is kind of a spec beast when you look at it in its price category, just because it has, you know, really high-end i7 CPU, 512 gig SSD, 8 gigs of RAM. Like, you can't really look at the specs and go, hmm, it's lacking somewhere. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that is, but that's what Huawei's been known for since totally. the beginning, since the MateBook original um, S or whatever, the, the, the non or X or whatever it was in the non-pro, um, which I never got. Um, but I think for me, um, you know, now that you bring that up, I wish that there was a version with 16 gigs of RAM. There's only 8 gigs. You get 8 gigs no matter which one you buy. You just okay. get a 512 gig SSD on the $1,200 model. And the entry level of the Core i5 is a 999, no discrete graphics, with a 256 gig SSD and 8 gigs of RAM. Yeah, I, I honestly, I'm a... Uh chrome tab whore so i need 16 <laughs> gigs in most of my laptops me too um but i'm trying not to be too picky nitpicky on it considering everything else considering the price too yeah yeah i agree so let's talk about you know what makes a, a laptop a laptop these days to me there are i'm picky because i'm a macbook user so huh. um build quality materials trackpad keyboard display and ports of course we've already kind of covered I'm not a big port whore. I don't really care too much. I did appreciate that the Type A port was included in the MateBook X Pro, but I could live without it. I mean, I bought an original MacBook Air, you know, with the 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 port door that popped up that only had one USB A, one oh, headphone yes. jack, and one display not display port. It wasn't even display port in the early days. It was that weird adapter mini um, display port I for think. for the display uh, interface. And and so I've I lived with that for a while and then I went to a MacBook Air 11 and then a Mac, another MacBook Air two or three MacBook Air 11s and then I got a MacBook as my travel like a 12 inch first gen MacBook as my travel laptop. So I know how to suffer. I know how to suffer <laughs> from poor CPU even though I've got the Core i7 maxed out version of the MacBook 12 inch. Uh, the first gen was pretty terrible and and you know I have one port basically. So I'm not I'm fine with that but but I want people to know that ports I'm a total are not... po I'm a total port whore. Yeah, I know you are. And, and I mean, you know, a lot of people, and it's fair. I think it's okay. But here's what I want to talk about, the things that matter to me. Display, keyboard, trackpad. So keyboards and track keyboard and trackpad is fan quite fantastic. I really love them. I actually feel that the MateBook X Pro brought that in. I think uh, everybody agreed that it had great trackpad and great uh, keyboard that they improved upon the original MateBook. And then this one, I think, kind of inherits all of that. Without the stupid camera and the function keys, the camera is actually on top of the display where it belongs. I really, really wish that the next version, I'm hoping that the re a revised version with maybe a core, uh, um, an 8th gen core processor and a, you know, uh, they could even keep the chassis and everything the way they have. If they revise a Mate X, a MateBook X Pro, I would love to see the camera move and a better processor. And that's all I would ask, honestly. So with the 13 here, they've got the good keyboard and the good and the good uh, trackpad. As for the display, I think it's a really good display. But I have to nitpick about one thing. And, and we kind of 
you know, that kind of came up in the briefing from a lot of the media was the brightness. The max brightness on display is very low. It's 300 nits. And I think if you're outdoors, you're kind of SOL. Yeah, I didn't use it outside, to be quite honest with you. Um, but I, I think that if you're going to sell a laptop, it has to have bright enough screen. So the X-Pro had 500 nits, to give you an example, and a slightly wider, bigger display because of it, with the same resolution. Honestly, it set the bar in terms of display for me um, for that price point. And I think this is a bit of a downgrade. I think there definitely is one of the areas where I wish I wouldn't have saved cost. Mm -hmm. um, the battery life, you're right, could be better, but I think that's Core i7, honestly, versus Core i5. I really feel that's what it is. Um, but here's the thing that I'm going to niggle about. Because uh -huh. <laughs> I have to niggle about something because it's so good. <laughs> it's a bit thick and a bit heavy for my liking. Um, hmm. It's not thick in chassis per se, but it has really big rubber feet in the back. The back rubber feet are taller than the front bar feet to get yeah, to airflow because there is a fan intake under there. It also means that if you're using it on your lap, you cover that fan intake and I've noticed performance takes a dump. Right. Um, so, I mean, the fan goes off more basically. But so these are things that I, I like thinness and weight, weight like this seems this thing seems particularly heavy for its size. And and that's because I carry a MacBook 12 inch around all the time. Huh. And I understand for the specs, I shouldn't be complaining, but it seems like the, the MateBook X, honestly, is the X Pro is not much heavier. Like, I, don't, I think they're pretty much the same, which is kind of amazing because the X Pro is literally an inch wider. I'm, um, I'm a little spoiled because I'm well, spoiled. I've been carrying around so many 15 inch notebooks. Yeah. And, and to me, anything under four pounds is light. I so think you've been reviewing gaming laptops lately too, right? Yeah. I have, <laughs> so I have, a, like, I have like, a, well, I mean, even gaming laptops have gotten considerably lighter and thinner, but yeah, that's still in a four and a half pound chassis as opposed to two or three pounds. Yeah. Um, but then, but then I, you know, grab like a Snapdragon laptop and it's like two pounds. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. So, For me, you know, weight is less of a factor. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm just saying like, it's not going to like, trust me, you, you don't buy that. You don't know. You're like, you don't make that decision of buying or not buying this laptop because of the weight. Trust me, it's not bad. It's just, I know it's noticeable if you are using a, like, a, as you said, a Snapdragon based laptop or a MacBook 12, or even may, you know, I think the MacBook Air 13, the new one is very close. This is 2.87 pounds. The MacBook Air is 2.75 pounds. We're talking nickels and dimes inside yeah. and, and stuff but here's what i noticed which i think might be part of the problem as to why it's so heavy considering the x pro is the same weight and is bigger it is not a unibody construction laptop hmm, I didn't the know that. edges where the connectors are that's the only part on the computer the edge sh frame chassis is plastic the hmm. top deck where the keys are and the trackpad is aluminum and the bottom is an aluminum panel that's screwed on. The lid is aluminum for the display. So it's pretty much almost full unibody aluminum, but it's certainly not unibody because it's plastic. And if right. you look at the MateBook X Pro, it's full on Apple style machined aluminum out of a solid ingot, you know, uh, one solid piece. And I feel that once it's like I didn't notice right away, but once you see it, you can't unsee it, and it's like wah, 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 now that you brought it up, I can't unsee it. <laughs> have you? Uh, do you have it in front of you? Yeah, I do. I grabbed it. Do just you in see case. it now? Yeah, I didn't Did see I it totally until you mentioned spoil it, it. <laughs> and destroy it for you. Yeah, you kind of have. Ah, <sighs> I'm sorry. It's it's okay. 
But it's this is so- what I'm talking about. This is a little attention to detail stuff where I'm like, right. really, Huawei, if Apple can sell a computer for $100 more that has unibody construction, why can't you for $100 less? You're Huawei. Well, I think you- they're also, you know, I think it's because when you look at this laptop online to buy it, you're not seeing that. Um, but when you're looking at this laptop online at the specs and you compare it to a MacBook, it doesn't, you know, it looks way better. I, I think that's part of their strategy. Yeah, no, I think this is a, this, this is totally a good idea. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying like, you know, I'm not saying this is going to be a, like the way it is going to be a deal breaker. Like if you're looking for Windows 10 laptop, this laptop, you need to look at this laptop. Agreed. I'm not like I'm. I want to make very clear, this is me nitpicking almost for the sake of nitpicking, just because <laughs> it's my job as a tech journalist, I have to tell people, yeah, yeah, like, you know, these are the things that to me could be better because I have a very high standards on, on notebooks and laptops. So, yeah. But yeah, overall, this is a great, great lab. Um, one other Nichols, I don't know, maybe you know how to fix this, but I don't have this problem in the, X, the MateBook X Pro and a lot of my other Windows laptops. I've noticed that if I turn off the brightness, like, so the backlight on the keyboard completely, mm-hmm. Every mm-hmm. time I reopen the key, the laptop, it brings it back on. Interesting. Well, I'll be honest with you. I don't really turn it off ever. Ah, okay. Um, I'm like, can you not remember my settings, please? It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, I actually like having a backlight on the keyboard. I don't turn it off. Um, so I've never tried turning it off. But as I say that, um, I, I, yeah, I've, I've never really tried, you know, turning it off and turning it back on. Um, Maybe it's doing that because they assume some people need it to type in their password. Right. Because it's dark or something. Yeah. I think but, it just, uh, you think it was the ambient light sensor for that, you know? Yeah. Fair. I mean, for yeah. me, the, the way I look at it is, and I'm a bit weird that way because I'm old school, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a relic of the past. So I like to manage that myself. I never have auto brightness on my laptops. I set the brightness of the keyboard and the keys based on my setting. So Basically, so if I'm in a really dark place, I will always use the backlight on the keyboard. But if I'm in normal daylight, I don't, you know. So the one I have apparently turns itself off. Okay. And then you open it and it turns on for a split second and then turns off. Yeah. And then mine stays on. I, I wonder if it's like a BIOS setting. I mean, it's just weird. It's not like the end of the world. I'm sure it's just a setting and I just need to go dig for it. Um, but I mean, again, you know, s- like super nitpicky dingles here. Like, please totally. slap me while you can because I yeah. deserve it. I mean, <laughs> I still think it's a pretty good laptop and I think you agree with that. It's just, you know, there's always you know, room for improvement and I, you know, it, there's always a chance that they can make it better with the next generation and, and make it a perfect laptop. That's almost impossible to. Oh yeah. Know, I mean, look, the bottom line is this to me. I want to be clear that this is not as much of a wow factor as the MateBook X Pro was because right. that was really like you could not not recommend that laptop. Whereas well, for, the Mac, for the 13, I feel like there's enough competition between the Dell XP, the new Dell XPS 13, some new mm-hmm. Asus ones, Lenovo ones that it's not as clear cut of a yes, go buy it now. You need a MacBook Pro Windows equivalent. You can't go wrong. Go do it. Right. Right. Well, I also think it kind of, you know, they're trying to find their own niche category. Um, you know, they're doing a three to aspect ratio. It's almost edge to edge. 
Yeah, um, that's another thing we didn't mention is just like the MateBook X Pro, this thing has so little bezel, it's kind of unbelievable. Yes, exactly. And I think, you know, there's a lot of companies that sacrificed, um, you know, having a webcam on the top so that they could, you know, have a really good bezel. Well, even Huawei themselves with the Mate X, uh, the X Pro last year, right? I mean, yeah. And now, and now that there's technology that allows for you to put the webcam up there, you know, Dell's doing it, Huawei's doing it. So now you get the best of both worlds, even though, let's be honest, nobody really uses that webcam. That's true. I mean, I, I don't know. I do use the webcams on my computers because I do Skype meetings and, and, and Zoom meetings with my clients and stuff because I work remotely. And, you know, that doesn't even make sense. But I agree with you that a large majority of people don't really even need a webcam, right? Yeah, I buy an external one and use that if I really need to. I mean, one. it's always better, right? Yeah. If you really need to. And that's when you want that USB type A port. Uh-huh. And you know what? Actually, that let me rewind. That's not the problem. The problem is that the webcam manufacturer should be making USB type C webcams. In fact, the problem, and you can argue with me about this, I'd love to hear your take, is that every accessory made today should be USB type C, period. I actually 100% agree. Um, I think if they aren't satisfied with the market penetration of type C, which we can argue about all day long, you can put a real cheap adapter at the, on the end of it. If you don't think type C is going to work. Totally. Um, like why not cents. do that? And, and in fact, put two adapters, put a micro, my type C to a micro USB and a type C to a mic, to a type A, and then you're done. Right. You can cover anything. And I think for a webcam product, you wouldn't even need the type C to micro USB because who's going to use micro USB for webcam? So my point is, I want those manufacturers to get the message. I know it costs more to put the chipset for type C. I know it's a little more, but please stop pissing me off. Well, what's interesting is, you know, I, you know, we both use a lot of type C laptops. And, and phones and phones and, and phones switch and and, and, and phones goes on and tablets. phones have been you know all type c for pretty much starting 2017 um and i, I think the real thing is that if you looked at the state of affairs in 2017 for type c accessories compared to the state of affairs today it's much better but as you're saying there's still a long way to go yeah and i hate dongles so I'm on I'm on your team when it comes to making it manufacturers go type C on everything. Yeah, I mean, it's like it just frustrates me to no end. Um, you know that there's nobody is like not everybody's on, and and it's not just it's even Huawei themselves. I hate to say, have you looked at their mid range and low end phones like the Honor 8X, a fantastic phone, not sold in the US, but fantastic mid range phone, micro USB. It's like. In, in Asia, in India, anything that's not $500 or more as a phone has micro USB still most of the time. Yeah, I don't get it. It's, I, I don't either. Uh, you know, I used to think it was a cost thing, but now you can ship a phone for like I think it is bucks. not a cost. For a phone, it's definitely not costing. I think it's, it's purely a, Infrastructure. this market does not have this or does not want this. Our market research, I freaking hate market research. It's the stupidest thing ever. If anything, Steve Jobs are right about it. People don't know what they want. Let's give them something that's amazing. Um, I'm so sick and tired of these companies not making phones that are cross the board USB Type C. People are going to eventually have to be drag kicking and screaming into USB Type C. Let's take the pain away now. Right. 
Like, I don't understand. Like, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Ugh. I mean, did you see the rumors? I, I, I'm not going to probably put this in the show notes because I don't want to get into it too much. But there's rumors of Apple, like, like some prototypes floating around of new iPhones with USB Type-C. Yeah, I heard about that. It's about freaking time, Apple. Well, I mean, everything else they make has Type-C. That's what I'm saying. It's about freaking time, Apple. I get the whole lightning ecosystem, money cow, and the fact that, you know, the, the SC wasn't ready when they had to put lightning in there for size reasons. And lightning is technically a better connector in terms of like physical ruggedness. Absolutely 100%. It's actually not a better connector in terms of performance, as we know. Uh, Type-C can also support Thunderbolt. So, uh, uh, but I feel like it's these days are those days were over two years ago apple like lightning is dead let's move on mm -hmm. i know the apple people right now are shaking their heads going what are you talking about miriam everything i do is lightning i'm like oh you poor people you unless you have the latest stuff in which case only your phone is lightning yeah i mean you have an ipad great uh pro great it's type c but like you're right if you have an older ipad uh an old even a modern ipad that's not a pro and any iphone right hmm Oh, well. Poor Apple people. I I'm just tired of them. having to carry two different types of Me cables. too. And that's basically what's happening is like I'm keeping a separate ecosystem around for Apple. Um, and I know I'm not, we're not the use case, right? I mean, we, we're tech right. journalists, analysts. We, we just test everything and have to carry it. But I mean, my I'm, I'm point is like there are families out there where, you know, daddy or mommy works and has a work phone that's an android phone and has an iphone for their personal phone they surely feel that same pain absolutely and, and you can't say you can't say well car. you can't say to them you know apple can't say to these customers that are good paying customers of theirs well your work should be issuing you an iphone like it doesn't work like that i mean it's just weird to me I really hope this iPhone this year has Type-C. That'd be great. Oh my God, let's make it happen. All right, so I think in, in, in a nutshell, the Huawei MateBook 13 is a bit of a gem of a laptop, but it has faces suddenly more competition from the others in its price point, in its size, in its category. Unlike the MateBook X Pro, which I can still recommend today as a really solid MacBook Pro alternative. So, you know, consider that. Consider it if you're looking for a Windows 10 laptop. Um, I'm not sure I'd spend $12.99 on it, frankly, but I think uh, it's too bad the Core i5 doesn't have the discrete graphics. That would be a very cool combo. I think, I think that category has a lot of competition, which is why we have so many good laptops in that category. So you have choices, and I think that's a good thing. Chase, choices are always good, and so, yeah. So anyway, um, great small bezels. Um, we mentioned that, um, but I, I'm a little bummed by the, the materials and build quality in terms of, the, not build quality because it's well built, but materials in terms of that plastic sh shell in the middle. Oh, well, I can't have it all, right? Yeah. Um, so Huawei, the other part, the, the part that is scary and, and disappointing and, and raises so many questions. I've, you know, I've been a very strong proponent. I want to int intro this by saying that. I know that Huawei, like a lot of Chinese companies, and I've worked with many, I, are, is not the most honest company out there. Many, many big businesses, even in the US, are kind of crooked, guys. This is not unusual. And I know this intuitively, that's just the way the world is. But I've been annoyed with the nitpicking and the, the, the pointing fingers and the taunt, constantly pushing and, and, and scapegoating that Huawei's been receiving. Uh, with our current regime, particularly, 
um, because it seems hypocritical, A, and B, it's been going on for a really long time. It's not a new thing. So, so that's kind of my perspective. Like, I'm not saying that like, the, some of these things, like, especially this, this Timo Robo robot, uh, um, industrial spying robot. thing is kind of crazy uh, and i want to talk about these emails but but mm -hmm. like i have to admit that my perspective is i will still buy honor and i would still buy an honor and a huawei device i really don't think they have spyware like you know uh, other companies and countries in the world out there that use these products would by now have discovered something pretty outrageous if that was the case um especially the eu uh, which is privacy and security crazy right so mm -hmm. they they're very popular there with their phones um and it certainly wouldn't stop me from buying their laptops so the whole issue of course is the whole 5g networking side of things that's that's a lot more nebulous i don't really believe that you know carriers should be avoiding buying huawei but the, as a company, I think Huawei has a lot of issues with their ethics. And these emails really highlight this, right? Yeah, I mean, my perspective is a bit more nuanced in that I understand everybody's perspective. Um, I, I, you know, Huawei's had some of these allegations for quite some time. And I think some of the evidence against them wasn't necessarily available at the time when they were accused of them regarding the Tappy stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, by the way, the Tappy is T-Mobile's test robot that, you know, it's a jig where you can put the phone in there and you, you know, the robot basically taps on the screen and tries everything out on the phone and tries to wear out the buttons and the, and everything. So just as, a, as an aside, in case you don't know what Tappy is. And, and basically, the way I see it is, the Tappy case is, is a very clear-cut one of, you know, disrespect of IP and internal company and politics. And industrial espionage, right? Yeah, totally. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not a good case for them. It, it doesn't look good. And from what I understand, some of the evidence was actually gathered after the uh, civil case had already happened. I um, see. So, apparently, there was some involvement where um, this emails and things like that were gathered. Um, even the CFO statements regarding um, the Iran sanctions, some emails were gathered from her phone when she was stopped at the border. So there's certain things that have been, you know, gathered in the last few years that have strengthened their case against Huawei. Um, and I think that there's definitely some political aspect to what's going on. Sure. Um, there's no denying that, especially with trade negotiations and the timing. Like, you know, timing is never suspect. I mean, Timing can be suspect and it's, yeah. you know, I don't think it's accidental that it happens so close to the trade negotiations. Um, but at the same time, you know, these sanctions did exist. Huawei did create this subsidiary in Hong Kong and they did try to hide as much as they could that this was actually a Huawei company. Um, and they, from what I can tell, uh, it seems like they lied about that. Oh, um, I, there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, as I said, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm really, I have no, I've always questioned the ethics of Huawei as a, over, like, as a Chinese, large Chinese companies with close ties to the government. Um, but I feel like there's been, there's been a lot of scapegoating happening, especially with, within the US that have resulted in like the Mate 10 Pro last year not being, able, not appearing on AT&T and all that stuff that I think is really silly. Because mm -hmm. the American customer is missing out on great devices and, Huawei is such a large company with so many different branches that, you know, 
I mean, it's like Facebook is one of the most crooked companies in the U.S. Clearly, look at what they've been doing to our privacy and security. Yet, you don't see people stopping using it. I mean, some do. But well, my I, point I, is, it's like, it's hypocritical to me that, you know, we should not, you know, we should advise against using their devices. Well, I think the, the convenience is, you know, Huawei is not an American company and they are competitive with American companies. Um, and the reality is, is that they've grown their market share in both smartphones and infrastructure significantly in the last few years. So their prominence is, is unavoidable and they are one of the leaders in 5G technologies and they make some of the best phones in the world. So, you know, they're a threat whether you are a, you know, U.S. government official or if you're a U.S. smartphone manufacturer. Absolutely. And, and I completely understand that. Like, I'm not naive, right? Yeah, I just, you know, I, I think that um, there's too many people that are defending Huawei without really accepting the things they've done wrong. And then there's I too do. many people that are blaming Huawei that for things that, like, they can't even prove. Like, you know, exactly. I, I can't definitively nor can anyone definitively say that there's anything nefarious in any of the hardware they make be it a phone or network equipment no one and has and ever that's been exactly able to my that. perspective and thanks for saying that because i think we're completely in agreement you're just articulating expressing it way better than i am i'm just annoyed at the people who are both naive about huawei and don't understand that you know huawei is at fault and their business dealings in some in some areas. And I'm also annoyed with the naivete of people who say, oh, you know, I would never own a Huawei phone because there's Chinese, Chinese spyware on there. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, and, and it's really a lack of, um, you know, experience and understanding. And um, that's why it's kind of, you know, our job to really help people understand our full perspective. You know, I've worked closely with all the companies in the industry, including Huawei. And, um, you know, I think approaching everything with a skeptical um, perspective helps us. It's our job. We yeah, have to ask questions, right? We have to be skeptical. And I want you to know that I am. Like, I wouldn't be so gung-ho about Huawei and Honor's phones if I hadn't used them and been absolutely delighted and blown away by what they bring to the table. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I can only wholeheartedly recommend them. Last podcast was TK Bay of XDA Developers. We spoke at length for probably about 45 minutes about the Honor 20 from on, uh, the Honor View 20. And honestly, that phone is it's so good. And the Mate 20 Pro that I still have in my pocket after three months, you know me, I change phones all the time. And it's still mm -hmm. in one of the phones I'm using every day because it's so freaking amazing. It is. So, but at the same time, OnePlus makes amazing phones, you know, um, you know, of, of course, like Moto makes a great mid-ranger. I mean, like the list goes on. There's all these good companies out there and this is not, you know, this is not related to their, you know, their business practices necessarily. This is about, you know, what should you have in your pocket that would make you happy and fulfill your requirements, you know? Yeah, I think my only big concern really with Huawei other than you know, their business practices and this kind of ties to their business practices is I question or am curious or wonder in a very non-concrete way how much of the technology that makes their phones awesome is actually one that they've created themselves versus what they've actually stolen. Well, you know, that's a very good question. But here's the thing. If they stole it, they certainly made it better than everyone else's. 
Yeah. I mean, that's honestly, um, you have as much experience as I do. That's kind of been the Chinese way, way back. And that's exactly the problem. I think that there's a, there's a huge cultural problem here. And I want to, I want to switch over to talking about the emails because it's really relevant here. Mm -hmm. I really encourage you before or while you're listening to the podcast, maybe pause the podcast right here, go in the show notes right now and have a look at the link that I'm going to put in for Jess Condit's Engadget story about the Tappy robot. The, 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 this is a, in 2011, 2012, Huawei was working with T-Mobile and they were basically having access to this Tappy robot and headquarters in China wanted them to, in, you know, do industrial espionage on this product because their products at the time, their phones weren't as reliable as the rest of the world's phones and they wanted to uh, basically buy the technology from T-Mobile initially. To yeah, they want to license it. To license it and validate their phones and have better reliability and quality control on their phones. And when T-Mobile said, absolutely not, we're not going to sell you our technology. And by the way, T-Mobile eventually sold that technology or licensed it to a lot of the other carriers and phone manufacturers in the US. Mm -hmm. Huawei did this thing that to us is kind of crazy blatant stuff. Like uh, I think a US company, if they were going to be crooked at that point and be dishonest, would try to hide through as many and be as sneaky as possible. But no, Huawei did exactly what's normal business practice in China is completely ignore IP and let's steal the technology from them. And if you read these emails to yeah. me, it's, it's so Chinese culture. It's insane. I'm like, like you're reading these emails as a Westerner and you go like, I cannot believe this. This is insane. Like, are they seriously like pushing harder and harder to get more and more and more stuff stolen and, and doing it plain sight and email unencrypted? Yes, they are. And they are totally, you can see by their determination at headquarters in China, how they don't think this is a problem at all. This is normal business practice. This is what you do. This is okay. And you have to keep that cultural difference in perspective this happens all the time i work with chinese chinese clients and and you know i help them with media relations and and marketing and stuff and go to market and literally they ask the first question they always ask me is like how much money should i spend on buying the media right oh especially since in china that's literally how it works like i'm like you don't buy the media like the freedom of the press this is, this is america even the west in general like you just Put your stuff out there, pitch it, and hope they're for the best. And any coverage is good coverage anyway, because it gives you page views. Uh, so you don't pay. I mean, and they're like, well, what about the all this stuff, all these ads we see? I'm like, that's sponsored content. There's a whole different ball game. That's going through sales channels and advertising channels. And and it's interesting to me that they don't understand. And once I educate them, it's a lot easier. But but I think that it's at the core, it's a huge cultural difference. Yes. I mean like you were saying, the whole freedom of the press thing doesn't really exist in China. And also in China, you have this whole pay to play scenario, which they don't even understand is not really a, a starter in the U S. Um, so I, yeah, I think it's a huge difference in culture, but I also think it's also, um, you know, there's this whole attitude of it needs to be done by any means necessary. Yeah, and it's very persistent. Like it's it, read these emails, guys. It's like, wow, like really like these guys have already gotten themselves clearly in trouble and a band of the blade. Well, we can we get more information about the size of the whatever. And I'm like, yeah, they had how wow. many times? How many times did they hit roadblocks and how many times did they go back and say, well, get us more? I <laughs> know it's insane. Yeah. And I, I think I think, you know, overall, this this case is kind of a 
microcosm of what's been happening for a really long time. And I think that really strikes a nerve with a lot of Americans um, because, you know, they've been seeing all this Chinese thefts of U.S. IP, be it in defense, in manufacturing, in agriculture. And I'll be honest with you, previous administrations did very little to nothing to actually address it. Yeah. And I think this is kind of a culmination of decades of frustration. For sure. And, and it exists and it's real. And I'm not denying it. I'm not trying to deny it. I'm just saying that this article really explains and gives you the, sets the tone for what it is like to work with Chinese companies. Like culturally how it is. It's insane. And it's all of them. Like if you think OnePlus because they're here, you know, in successful and welcome and our T-Mobile is different, you know, there were issues with them too in terms of privacy in the past. And I think it's because they are, as soon as you have somebody in that organization that thinks like the people that wrote these emails, these Huawei emails think, you know, it doesn't matter how good your corporate structure and how ethical your company is because you're going to destroy, like, remember when Alcatel had these crazy apps on their phones that would send data back to China that were part of the installed app set, like the, the, mm -hmm. the, the photos app and stuff. And the Alcatel people running the show, they had no idea this was happening. It, it was because the, uh, the company they sub, they get contracted the apps to. Right. We're doing this behind their back. They had no idea. And and so this stuff happens all the time. And so what I'm, what I'm pointing out to you is that when OnePlus had these privacy issues, this probably wasn't OnePlus. It was probably whatever company they hired to create whatever they needed that just par for the course that we put spyware in there. Well, yeah, because they need to make money off of whatever they're doing in addition to what they're charging for. Because, you know, the general Chinese business model is volume with low margin, right? So if you can get your application that you built for somebody to be installed on 100 million phones and make a few pennies on every phone, then you've actually made a good money. Yeah, except there's this whole thing that they don't seem to understand, which is consent. Like consent of the company you're doing the contract for, consent of the users of the phones. Like that's all we're asking for. Like if you want to do it, ask first. We'll probably say no, but maybe I mean, we'll say yes and co-partner on making the money uh, and then we'll ask the users and users with a very clear like, hey, would you like to opt into this or not? And then we'll go somewhere and everybody will be happy. Like, you know, it's there's other ways to do this. Yeah, I honestly think it's happened with almost every single major Chinese OEM and, and not even just in smartphones. Even Lenovo had that problem. Oh, yeah. What, what, I don't know this story. What, oh, yeah. There's this. Um, there was a basically it was a spyware program on their laptops um, I forget it was, so, it was called something fish. Um, and it's it was, always fishy when it's called fish. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it was some kind of ad platform, but it was, it was spying on people's usage and reporting it back. And it was a huge problem for Lenovo because this was in the U S and people were really livid about it. And they like immediately addressed it and tried to get it off their, you know, devices as fast as they could. And, but it was a definite massive privacy breach. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was called Superfish, actually. <laughs> Superfish. The fishiest of them all. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's basically... I just want to touch on that. I, I know it's big news, and, I, and you know, as much as I, I like the MateBook 13, you know, 
it's kind of hard to talk about it without talking about this other stuff that's really prominent in the news right now. You know, this is a tech, this is a mobile tech show. We talk about mobile tech. You might feel this is politics, but it's not. It's really important. This stuff could jeopardize the future. It's already in many ways jeopardizing, jeopardizing our future because you cannot go into an AT&T or T-Mobile store and buy a Mate 20 Pro right now, which is honestly one of the top five phones in the universe. And it's, it's sad you can't. And a lot of it has to do with these cultural and political issues that we mm -hmm. have to talk about. Agreed. Right. All right. So let's maybe switch gears and talk about the podcast topics that I sent you. There's a bunch of news items I kind of want to go over. Okay. Um, I, actually, before we do that, I want to kind of briefly mention to everyone, because I don't think you have this device. I finally got a Planet Computers Gemini, the little weird PDA Android laptopy clamshell mm -hmm. mini Scion <laughs> 5 type device. It's, it's funny. Yeah. I, I, I don't have one, but I had a chance to play with one at CES because a friend of mine, Avi, you know, Avi Gringard? Yeah, I know Avi, yeah. He, he has one, and uh, I got to play with it a little bit. It's an interesting little device. You know, honestly, okay, so this, just to be clear, this is a year over a year old now. They crowdfunded it, and I thought it was cool when it came out, and, and I met the guys at MWC last year, and I said, hey, I want to review it, and it just never followed through, and I just didn't have time to follow through myself, and then I saw my CS because they announced a new one called the Cosmo, which is, you know, Qualcomm-based now instead of MediaTek, and has a front display and a camera on the lid meaning like basically has dual cameras now rear inside the lid and outside the lid and all that stuff so it's improved and of course they're going to send me one but you know because we reconnected they said hey in the meantime can we send you the original and i was like absolutely so i'm bringing it up because honestly that thing is dope like i am surprised at how much i like it i thought it was going to be bad a lot of the reviews are very mixed about it Mm -hmm. And I trust my colleagues in the media. Uh, most of us all kind of agree generally. And I'm not disagreeing with them. I think there's a lot that needs work. I certainly would never use this as a main device. But as a secondary device, the keyboard is good. I think it's very productive. They've done some really good work to make landscape use in Android and short keys uh, work in Android. Uh, um make that a positive experience and you know even though it's a year old and it's running android 7 uh, over a year old and mediatek is actually pretty fine i mean we all know mediatek makes pretty decent chips the x27 wasn't it wasn't no slouch so you know overall i, I have to say this i am kind of kind of excited to get the next product now because this give me a kind of a taste of what to expect and you can look in the show notes to see a video to my unboxing first impressions video yeah i really like the keyboard i think it's something that's different and honestly i still yearn for keyboard sometimes um i didn't realize how much i cared for a keyboard until i got to play with the key 2 from yeah. blackberry um but i feel like that keyboard's too small um and let's be honest nobody wants to write emails on their phone because the keyboard sucks correct um so i think that if you can get a keyboard that's really tuned right for you know use as an email device i think mm -hmm. there's there's real potential there absolutely so check it out check out my video and i'll keep you posted on that um big news exciting news nokia's back on us carrier shelves not just available unlocked on amazon they've been quite a few of their phones up to the 7.1 which is a great little phone have been available unlocked in the us now but we now have as of a few days ago two announcements Verizon is going to sell a very, very basic phone called the Nokia 2V, 
V mm-hmm. for Verizon, which is just a, a slightly modified version of the Nokia 2. And Cricket is selling the Nokia 3.1 Plus, which is a more recent, um, also mid-range device. So the 3.1 Plus, I don't have the specs in front of me, but that's more like a pure, like Android One, like they do all their phones. But I think the Nokia 2V might be, it might be Android Go, I'm not sure. Um, but hey, Nokia's back in, in in US on shelves of uh, of you know operator stores. That's kind of cool, right? Yeah, I, I think Nokia has done a good job of improving their image, and their brand strength is so strong still that sure. everybody like immediately knows what a Nokia is, and there's no question of legitimacy or what they do or what they stand for. Um, but I still feel like you know, they've come really close to recapturing the original ethos of Nokia, but I still don't feel like I've seen a device that makes me go like, that's the real Nokia. Well, let's see what happens to MWC. There are very strong rumors of that Penta camera Nokia 9 um, coming out then. I mean, I don't know anything about it other than all the rumors and leaks that we've already covered on the show, but, you know, with a uh, crazy pure view technology, optics, camera madness, so... That'll uh, get me excited. I just um, stumbled upon my old Lumia 1020 photos, and <laughs> I still miss the day of that phone. Because I don't know if I told you or if you even knew, but when I reviewed the Lumia 1020, I, I actually carried around uh, Budapest, and uh, I was also carrying a Nikon D800 with me. Uh-huh. And at with no zoom, it was almost impossible to tell the difference. Yeah, it's amazing, right? It was one of the best cameras I ever used. And it that's was just why... super slow. Like, as long as you were oh, patient. Yeah. Yes. Uh, because but, it was everything was running on the Snapdragon S4. Remember the but S4? With, but with today's technology, I feel like that phone could be unbelievable. And I mean, we kind of have that in some of the what Huawei and Honor has been doing. Like, the 48 mm-hmm. megapixel on the Honor View 20 operates very much like the PureView sensor did on, uh, on the 1020 and the 808 PureView before it. Yeah, we're getting and close. And uh, and I think some of the stuff that Huawei is doing on the P20 Pro and the Mate 20 Pro are very, is very similar. A lot of that pixel binning, quad buyer stuff. And how many um, years ago was that? Like four? Oh boy. Five? 11, 10, 11? Yeah. 10, 9, 10, 11, somewhere on there. Yeah. Long time ago when MWC was still at the old FIRA. Right. And Stephen Elop was the CEO. Uh, good times. Um, well, good times. It's, you know, it depends on who you talk to. <laughs> um, anyway, Nokia's back. So if you uh, want to buy like a Nokia phone, you can now and you don't even have to buy it unlocked. Uh, I have, I'm getting a review unit of that uh, Nokia 3.1 uh, Cricket Wireless one, mm-hmm. which I think is probably the, the more interesting one of the two. So I'll keep you posted. I've already played with a lot of the other Nokias that have been introduced since they've got uh, re- rebranded themselves HMD Global. Um, Galaxy S10 rumors, more rumors. Um, this is kind of a no-brainer. Uh, Samsung announced a, a one terabyte uh, mobile storage chip for phones. You know, Samsung makes semiconductors, in case you f- didn't know. In case you forgot half the In business. case you forgot that they make everything, kind of like, <laughs> uh, uh, who is it, Nissan, who makes like, uh, you know, flasks and for drinking water and for or, thermoses or as well Hyundai as that makes cranes, trains, boats. Oh yeah, Hyundai cars. makes bridges and uh, and everything. <laughs> anyway, so 
Samsung, the juggernaut that they are, it makes chips and they make memory chips since that's why they make so many SSDs. If you're a gamer, you know this. If you uh, build your own PCs or upgrade your PCs, you know this. They make some of the best SSDs, in fact, on the market today. And Agreed. so storage on phones is a the thing they do. They sing single chip solutions for phone storage and we're now up to one terabyte. The logical conclusion, as you know, the highest end version of the Note 9 is 512 gigabytes. With 512 gigabytes extra, you can put in an SD card, which is insane. And probably and now, a Samsung as well. I think we're going to see a Galaxy S10 version, one of the odd versions with one terabyte. I mean, that's what the rumor seems to be. I think it's inevitable. If that doesn't happen for the S10, it'll happen for the Note 10. And, and I think that you and Spence at Forbes, who wrote the story, mm-hmm. is, is, I think, extrapolated on some pretty, uh, pretty, pretty solid, like, obvious facts right well well the thing is is that if you look at what samsung has been doing in the last couple of years most of their differentiation has been on their core technology which is their ability to make memory chips and their ability to do leading edge um fab and then also display tech those three yeah. things are kind of their bread and butter and they're you know their phones are almost like a showcase for what Samsung can do when they build a device with their own components. And then they go around and sell, you know, maybe not the exact same components, but that that tier to a lot of their competitors. Absolutely. Totally. That's what they do. Um, and, you know, related to that and that story, uh, Ewan claims potentially 12 gigs of RAM for that phone. And, and we've seen 12 gigabyte RAM phones before. It's happened. So mm-hmm. there's at least one out there um, in China. So yeah, maybe. I mean, it's expensive. I feel I like it's a bit excessive. Like, yeah, I, well, I have a 10 gigabyte of RAM um, OnePlus 6T McLaren yeah. edition. And I tell you, I never have to close any apps ever. Right. They all stay in RAM. All of them all the time. It's great. Yeah, I mean, it's it, there's a little bit of a boost there. Um, I just feel like I haven't really noticed a huge difference between eight and 10 or eight. You know, I just, no, for me, no, eight, I mean, eight seems enough. Eight seems to be what you want. Six is okay. Four is definitely lacking these days. Pure yeah. flagship, great phone. Um, eight is good. 10, great. 12. Yeah. Go, why don't I want I'm waiting for 16. Come on, let's bring it on <laughs> folks. Uh, um, and related to this, we have uh, LG, of course, as we talked about last week, is going to have an announcement. I want to let you, everybody know, since I ranted a lot about the fact that I can't go to the Samsung event in San Francisco before MWC, because I already booked my flight and I can't change my flight without incurring huge fees and penalties. Ouch. A lot of people are in this boat, even though Samsung's launching <laughs> in San Francisco, I won't be able to be there. So I will get you hands-on as soon as I can from the booth at MWC. But LG had announced that they were going to do an event mm-hmm. and it looked like it might be a conflict with Huawei. And it turns out it's not. It's in the they evening that day. Yes. So basically we've got that afternoon, we've got, as far as I know so far, I haven't confirmed any of my calendar stuff, but we have definitely have Huawei at 2 p.m., mm-hmm. Nokia at 4 p.m., and LG at 7.30 so it's gonna uh, that's half the day oh, i'm sure there's more microsoft too what time is that uh like 5 30. yeah i'm not gonna be able to make that if like with hands yeah on, my, my sunday is packed it's crazy <laughs> yeah it's, it's always like that but anyway so that's the good news lg is not conflicting with huawei in case you were following up from last week's podcast where yeah, i was worried I, about that i i sent an email to my lg rep 
asking a very pointed specific question, which was, I hope your event is not during the time of any of the other events I've already booked. Yeah, basically. So the rumors, though, are that we're going to see the G8 there, obviously. But Mm -hmm. there's also rumors where they might show us a sneak peek of the V50, which is, uh, you know, the second half of the year phone usually, and that this would be the first 5G phone for LG. Um, and this is a Pocket Lint article I'll link to, I'll, again remember all of these articles are linked in the show notes go go look uh, in the show notes below and so I'm maybe okay I mean we're definitely going to see a whole bunch of 5G stuff there um, I would be kind of annoyed and surprised if the V50 didn't also have a non-5G option because the V50 the V series is my favorite series that LG makes and I don't want it to be encumbered by 5G because I don't think 5G is going to matter for at least another two years. Hmm. And you, you say encumbered. How do you consider it being encumbered? Because the only way you can do 5G properly is, is by, you know, if, especially for the U.S. carriers like Verizon that uses millimeter primarily, millimeter waves, you need uh, antennas on each side of the phone. So that means you can't have a bezel-less front. Well, and I, my understanding is most of these millimeter wave antennas are not anywhere that you would normally expect an antenna to be because they're much shorter. Well, my understanding right now is that you can't put, you can't put the display on top of them. Hmm. So let's see if that changes. But the reality is this is I think any 5G phones we see in 2019, I'm not talking about next year, but and first of all, there's not going to be enough markets in which it's going to matter whether it's sub six or millimeter. Like I'm on board for 5G. I want it. I think it's great, but I don't think you should buy. I'm, call, I'm calling it now. I don't think you'll want to buy a 5G phone in 2019, even though it's not going to be as bad as the HD Thunderbolt was when 4G came out, which was a dog in terms of battery life. I think it's going to be a dog in terms of packaging. I think these phones are not going to be going to be subpar in terms of their optimization on look feel and look and feel because of the antennas huh. and the radios and the placements and the thickness and the battery. And they're, you're not going to want these phones until uh, 2020, 2021. I think you will be wrong in a certain aspects. I have different reservations around about 5G phones, um, but I think... Um, from the prototype that I saw Samsung show, which was a working prototype, um, that you mean phone, the one we all saw in uh, in Hawaii. Yeah, that's a working five G millimeter. Well, did you prototype. see the size of the bezel on top? Yes, and I, I think that was a very early prototype. I I'm not convinced that that's going to be the final version. I hope you're right. Like, um, I could be wrong, but I when I spoke to people at Samsung, they were like. Way too many people are focusing on that device, even though that's not the final version by a lot. Um, so I think there's still room for that. But actually, my biggest concerns for 5G phones um, are going to be the maturity of the networks and exactly how their backhaul is going to actually work. Oh, and, right, the backhaul. Oh, and whether God. or not they're actually going to supply enough bandwidth to make 5G worthwhile. Um, Good point. I think that's really the, going to be the biggest issue um, because that and battery life. Um, but I think that you're going to see, um, you know, device makers and carriers working on, you know, balancing 5G connectivity and 4G connectivity and which which bits go over which network right. based on power. No, absolutely. I think all this is true. And that's exactly why I don't want you to buy a phone in 2019 that's 5G. Because the market, the, the technology is not mature at the, at the, at the, not, never mind the phone end, at the 
carrier end, at the network, at the antenna end, I mean, the, sorry, the tower end, with, with, as you said, issues with backhaul, issues with, you know, availability even, just basic availability. So, you know, I'd rather have, honestly, when we're seeing super sexy phones like the Meizu Zero, which I mentioned last month, last week, and we're going to talk about in a second, it, it's like, I, I want the sexiness to continue. I, I want more form factors. I want more full screen. I want more. I wanted, I wanted these designs to get to their logical end in a way mm -hmm. before they get disrupted by having to be modified to accommodate. And you're right. I think it can be done well, I'm sure, integrating these antennas. But I'm just not optimistic that the level of what you think of when you think of a flagship today might not necessarily quite look the way you want it if it's a 5G right. package. That's well, the interesting thing is, is that, you know, um, Qualcomm, I think, is one of the only companies if I think they're the only company out there right now with a millimeter wave antenna that can actually fit in a phone. Correct. And they their design that they showed off in October was small enough to fit in a phone but then i think a month or two ago they showed off a new one that was 30 percent smaller than that so there okay, so it's there's a lot of aggressive quickly. iteration on this you know millimeter wave antenna design because they know that they have to be able to not only fit in a phone but comfortably fit in a phone yeah yeah well let's see what happens i'm interested to see what lg is going to show which i'm sure we're going to see some 5G stuff from everyone there. So oh, absolutely. If they're on, a, if you're not at, if you're at MWC and you're not showing something 5G, you're going to get a lot of questions. <laughs> cool. Well, the next topic I want to touch on. We touched on it last week with uh, TK. Meizu announced a phone called the Meizu Zero, which has basically no ports, no openings, uh, other than two microphone holes, top and bottom. No speakers that are visible, no SIM trays, no... Well, the camera pod in the back, but it's kind of very flush. Basically, no USB-C, no headphone, wireless charging only. You know, kind of like the... Hence the name Zero. Zero ports. Um, you know, zero, zero holes, whatever. Crazy stuff, right? And I mean, you know, it's not the, the only one. There's uh, rumors Oppo's working on something like that too. I'm sure others are. It's kind of the holy grail. That's what Apple wanted to do for years now. No buttons, no ports. That's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the fact that they finally announced the that they are going to crowdfund it on Indiegogo for $12.99. Oof. I, I honestly, and you, you know my opinion on this, <laughs> I just don't understand why a company... The size of Meizu would crowdfund. <laughs> yes, just like uh, yes, it, it's. I'm speechless. I just don't understand how like a self-respecting company can run. Wait, a, Meizu is self-respecting. I think they are. I mean, no, they put joking. out a pretty good phone, right? That was a cheap shot. The problem with Meizu products is that the ones I've tried weren't that great, and you can't get them in the US. Yes, that's true. You can't get them in the US, but I mean, you, know, you can. But yeah, like no Google Play services, your SOL. Yeah, I, I think it's just I, I don't I have very little respect for companies that are basically making their customers shoulder their R&D when they have a real R&D budget. Yeah, hundreds of millions of dollars. I know. Yeah, I just I. Yeah, well, don't you thing. understand? It's cool. And it's like trying to like get the feel from the build the community like one plus did, don't you know? Yeah, exactly. Thanks for that big sigh because that's exactly how I feel. Because 
marketing BS, folks. Yeah, you can't you can't market a product into existence by crowdfunding it. Nope. And so that's all I want to say about that. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about AR. Um, I don't know the specifics. Maybe you can share some links with me to put in the show notes after this uh, recording. Sure. Uh, there's been a bit of an AR meltdown. I guess maybe that's a bit exaggerated. I don't. Just tell us about it. So I, you know, I'm pretty conservative on on market growth, but I'm very gung ho on the future. Um, but the last few months for AR have not been great. Um, we saw companies like Blipper go into receivership. Um, they just came out like a couple days ago saying that they're restructuring the whole company and now they're going to, you know, have a new approach and utilizing the same IP with new, new investors. Um, and then you have companies like ODG who are some of the first AR companies that ever existed. Yeah, good stuff they were making. They were making great hardware, but they had no idea how to make an ecosystem around it. And because no one knew how to utilize their hardware, um, it basically sat there and didn't sell. And they also took forever to deliver hardware. Um, so they're, they're also going under. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of different companies. What was that company with the guy who did the, the TED Talk? Yeah, Meta. Meta. Yeah, so Meta also is having issues. They also went bankrupt effectively, and their bank sold their assets um, to, an unknown, to an unknown major hardware vendor. But um, in general, the way I see it is a lot of these companies were very ambitious on the growth of AR, um, kind of like we saw with some VR companies that went under. You know, they were overly ambitious with the market growth potential, and they raise a lot of money based on these overinflated value for the market for 2020 or 2025. And the reality of the market is it's a slow growth market. And without rapid growth, these companies can't justify their spend and their resources that they have and the people that they've hired. So um, even you're even seeing some companies that are maybe not AR, but they're XR slash VR slash everything like NextVR, who had to lay off a bunch of people right. um, because their entire business model is dependent on subscribers and there just aren't enough subscribers to support the business model and at its current spend rate. Um, so there's a lot of companies like that that have been struggling to you know, address the market in a way that meets the market size today without going under. And you know, I wrote in a blog that went out yesterday, actually, about the XR industry, where we're at today, where it's going in the future, that actually addresses a lot of these companies' failures. Um, just because, you know, we have to look at the failures, acknowledge them, see what they did wrong in order for the industry to move forward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, please share that link with me later. I would love to put it in the notes, your story, because I think that would be a really relevant thing since you wrote it. Yeah. And the funny part is we had a meltdown, but, you know, once you have a meltdown, there's always this fresh grass. It, recon is, it, it reconsolidates, right? It re, it re gels basically into oh, yeah. a more tight, like more organized, more powerful, you know, glob. Yeah. And I think Microsoft's HoloLens announcement at MWC is going to be a huge um, shot in the arm for AR. For sure. For sure. Cool. Well, listen, we should probably wrap it up. We've covered all this stuff. Um, I want you to tell people where they can find you. I mean, you, you do, you're an analyst for, uh, you know, and, 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 but you also write for Forbes, right? 
Yeah, so I I am an analyst at More Insights and Strategy. Uh, I write on Forbes and upload VR, and I also tweet too much. You tweet um, a lot, and it's good. And uh, I also publish some of my stuff on LinkedIn, but mostly Forbes, upload VR, and Twitter. What's your kind of corner for Forbes? Is it AR, VR? Um, it's, it's kind of my main areas of coverage. So 4G, 5G, AR, VR, and, um, smartphones, mobility. Fantastic. Um, tell people where they can find you on Twitter and maybe Instagram. Sure. I'm on Twitter at Anshul Sog and I'm on Instagram with the same handle. There you go. Easy peasy. Yeah. You should follow Anshul if you don't already. Great insights. (laughs) Haha, more insights sorry i had to uh, but mostly you know seriously it's uh i i see Anshel all the time at all the various events we go to and i've learned so much from talking to him and um you know great kind of like perspective on everything so definitely somebody to follow and you all know where to find me on the internets i'm at tankerl that's t-n-k-g-r-l on twitter and on instagram uh named after tankerl the comic book but i couldn't get it with vowels so i dropped the vowels um and as i always joke and say before flickers was smart and dropped the vowels too uh i'm dating myself i know uh but also youtube channel the mobile tech podcast youtube channel is under my name youtube.com slash miriam that's m-y uh instead of m-i and uh, if you want to see videos, unboxing, hands-on, first impressions, that kind of stuff, stuff from MWC when I go there and stuff from CS when I was there, that's the place to go because the, the podcast is audio only. So this is visuals to go with your podcast experience. Some, uh, so youtube.com slash Miriam Jor, my full name spelled out. If you need to spell that out, go to my Twitter at Tanker. It'll be spelled out there. Um, mobiletechpodcast.com is the url for the podcast it's where you can find the rss feed but of course i'm on all the platforms google podcast apple podcast pocket cast overcast tune in radio a bunch of places subscribe please subscribe to the youtube channel like the videos all that good stuff talk to me on twitter tell me what you think what you like what you don't like what you like to talk about what all that good stuff and the show wouldn't be complete if i didn't thank our sponsor audible audible.com is really the place to go for audiobooks if you love audiobooks if you love reading but maybe you can't actually physically read a book on a kindle on paper you know audible.com is a place so check it out um they've been supporting us for a really long time there's a special offer in the description of the show uh i'll give you the link right now it's uh, audibletrial.com slash mobile tech that's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech if you click through there and join audible you'll you'll get a special deal 30 days free trial etc and you'll support the podcast so please do please consider doing it if you're not already an audible customer so thanks to audible and thanks to angel for being on the show thank you thanks for having me i really appreciate it it's we'll have to have to you. you on again and <laughs> we'll definitely see each other in barcelona right yeah I'll see you soon All right, cool. Well, folks, that's it. So stay tuned for another show next week. Cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.